announcements for upcoming events. The Wisdom Seekers this Thursday are sponsoring a tour of the K-Wave Studios. So if you're interested in that, there's a flyer in the back and you can call Joan Lang or um, you could talk to her today and if they still have an opening, they have a limited number of people who can come, but uh, a chance for you to see K-Wave, I would encourage you to do it if that sounds interesting to you. Valentine's Potluck is coming up February 17th at 6 p.m. You need to sign up for that, and uh, that'll always be a great time, but there are flyers in the back for that as well. There are premarital classes that are starting tomorrow from 7 to 9, and it'll go for six consecutive weeks, once a week. And uh, so if you've been thinking about getting married or you're making those plans, jump on that class, and, and I know it'll be a blessing for you. Saturday, February 17th, from 9 to 12, there's a, a worship leaders and musicians conference that George Sabalik is doing, and there's no cost for it. You're welcome to come if you enjoy singing or playing a musical instrument. They'd love to have you come and join in that time. Uh, today is the Villa Valencia outreach at 1 o'clock, and so you're invited to go on over for that. A high school girls discipleship group is meeting this service right now, so I guess no point in announcing that. Tonight, college and career at 7 p.m. as always will be meeting for those who are in the 18 to 30 age group. And so anyone's invited to get in on that this Saturday is uh, our men's Bible study in the fellowship hall Saturday morning at 8 a.m. And the men's campout is full, but there is a waiting list. If you men didn't get signed up for the campout yet and think you might like to go, you can get on the waiting list. Next Sunday, after uh, third service, there's a curriculum sorting party. Uh, each quarter for the Sunday school materials, we get it in and it needs to be sorted. So it's a good way for you to contribute to children's ministry if, you know, you don't feel led to teach a class, but hey, you know, once in a while you can come in and just help them sort the, the material, and plus they feed you when you do it, so it's always a fun time. That'll be next Sunday after this service, after the third service. And again, lunch is served. And I'd like to encourage you to pray this week as Steve Bailey, who many of you know, he's our missions pastor and does so many other things around here as well. Um, Steve's heading over to Vietnam and uh, to spend, oh, a month or so over there. He and Chuck Norris are rescuing some POWs that are still. <laughs> but while they're there, he's also going to uh, make contact with the underground church there and see how we can get involved helping them and just to minister to them and encourage them and to let them know that that we're thinking of them and praying for them. And so it'll be, he'll be traveling throughout the country there. And so I want you to remember to keep him in prayer. It's a, it's a real privilege for our church to have Steve represent us and something that many of us would like to do, but we don't have the opportunity. And so there's so much, there's such a history with Vietnam in our country. And it's just great that we can send someone over to to let them know that we're thinking of them. And, and as their church is suffering and going through hard times, that there are people over here that haven't forgotten them. And so let's lift Steve up in prayer now. Lord, we just pray for Steve and Dave and others who are involved in this endeavor as they go into Vietnam this week. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen them and empower them, keep them healthy, keep them safe. 
Lord, help them to be sensitive to your voice so that as you minister to them and as you minister through them, that they won't miss anything that you would want to be doing. Lord, put them in the right place at the right time, staying in the right locations, meeting the right people, so that the fruit of this trip would, would go on for eternity, that, that they would really make a difference. So God bless them and keep them safe, bring them back safely, but now we entrust them to you as they go and, and do this, Lord. I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Steve. <clears throat> All right, now let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Philippians as we continue our study through the book of Philippians as we are in chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and we'll begin studying in verse 6 this morning. Today is a special day. It's, for me, my favorite holiday, frankly, the high and holy Super Bowl Sunday. Years ago, when I used to lead the singing at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, for I think 10 or 11 years straight, I was able to get them to sing the hymn on Super Bowl Sunday, This Is My Father's World, before Chuck finally figured out what I was doing. There's a line in that song that, that says, In the rustling grass I hear him pass. LAUGHTER so finally Chuck wouldn't go for it, but I, I got away with it pretty much throughout the 80s. And <laughs> seriously, it'll be an interesting Super Bowl today. I'll probably fall asleep before Prince ever comes out to do the halftime show. But you know, it's two teams that are well prepared for battle, two very talented teams, and they've been prepared. A lot of people are interested because for the first time, you know, there's never been an African-American head coach in the Super Bowl, and this year there are two African-American head coaches, so that's a big thing. By the way, this whole sermon isn't on the Super Bowl. This is just the introduction. <laughs> but, you know, that's a big deal. But what's perhaps even more interesting is both of these coaches are best friends, and they both are in love with the Lord. They're solid Christians who have really committed their lives to him and coach in a way that's different than almost any other coach in the NFL. So makes it interesting, and it'll be, it'll be fun to watch how it unfolds. Um, I, I don't have, like, one team that's my favorite team. I don't even have any idea who's going to win the game, Colts. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, here are two teams that everything in their life has been building up to this moment. And I imagine about now, as they're in the locker rooms and planning on this game, there's something that's common in both locker rooms, and that is there's a tension. There's an anxiety that's kicking in. Ultimately, at 325, when there's a kickoff and, and then the game unfolds, the winner of the game won't be the most talented team. It probably won't be the team that's so much better than the other team. Both of these teams are incredibly talented. Neither team as good as the San Diego Chargers. But the thing that <laughs> but the thing that the thing that's gonna win this game is one of those teams or the other will be mentally prepared for this. And they will somehow be able to work through the anxiety and the tension that happens when you walk on that field 
and one team will be better at the other. Either the Bears' defense is going to pull it together and play that great defense that they've played most of the year, or Peyton Manning is going to step up and deliver the performance that he's done many times before, but he's pretty much choked through most of the playoffs so far. It'll be interesting, okay? Do they really get it together? But it all doesn't come down to physical talent or ability. It comes down at this point to can you perform in the clutch? Or are you going to let the pressure beat you, defeat you? And you know, the, none of us are in those kinds of athletic competitions, maybe in quite that way. The truth is, every day of our lives, we step out on the field and we decide whether we are going to perform to our capabilities or even above them, or whether we are going to give in to the pressures of life. Anxiety and pressure, worry and stress, it's something that becomes a normal part of our lives. And if we can't learn to battle through it, then we will never, we may survive, but we will never accomplish everything that God wants to accomplish in our lives. We will never be the people that God designed us to be. And here in Philippians 4, Paul addresses this beginning with verse 6. And he says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul would say, anxiety, yeah, it's a part of life. But there's a pathway that will take you from anxiety to peace. And that pathway is the pathway of prayer. Anxiety is something that you know it when you feel it, but sometimes it's hard to describe. But the Greek word that's used here for anxiety, the King James Version translates it, be careful for nothing. But it's a word that literally means when something is cut up and divided and dispersed. It's a word that they would use when you're taking a meal and you take a loaf of bread and you break it into pieces and you pass it out to everyone. Now, this kind of division, when it comes to us personally, it's almost like saying, when you feel anxiety, you're feeling dismembered. You're feeling like your body is being pulled in all directions. Your mind is going a million miles an hour. There's not enough time in the day. There isn't enough of me to go around to satisfy everyone who is making demands on me. I feel like I'm torn apart. Each day, I wish I were here, but I also need to be there. I care about you, but there's someone else, another wheel that's squeakier that gets the grease. And so often, decisions that I have to make, my mind just becomes wrapped around them. I don't know what to do. Now, anxiety usually is connected to the future. The fact that I'm not omniscient, the fact that I don't know everything, that I don't know the future... That's one of the things that makes me so stressed. Decision-making would be much better, much easier if I knew everything that was going to happen. I wouldn't worry about anything. If I knew it was going to happen, I'd just prepare myself for it. See, God does know the future, and so he doesn't relate to this feeling of anxiety. Anxiety for us is really when we try to take on responsibility that God hasn't given us, that we think that the future depends on us, and we have to get it right. 
And we can't do it twice and see how it comes out. Anxiety, being stirred up, going to bed at night and having your mind still racing. Being, trying to relax and yet your stomach is churning. Anxiety. It's not something that's just optional. The Bible commands us here, don't be anxious. Your life shouldn't be that way. And he goes on to say, hey, the peace of God that guards your hearts and minds, that's how you ought to live. That's the way you're designed to function. But how do we make that jump? It's through prayer, as we will see. You know, Jesus, when he was talking in Matthew's gospel, in a passage of Scripture, three chapters long, that we call the Sermon on the Mount, it's the longest chap, it's the longest prayer that, or pr- sermon, excuse me, that Jesus ever preached. We have several of his messages, but most of them are fairly short. But the Sermon on the Mount was a long one, and it's the most famous of Jesus' sermons. In that sermon, he addresses a lot of issues. He talks about personal character as he discusses the Beatitudes or the things that we ought to be, the attitudes we ought to have. He talks about divorce. He talks about money. He talks about prayer. He talks about giving. He talks about all sorts of other things. But the thing that he devotes, I think, the most time to in that sermon is this very topic of being worried of being careful too much, of of being anxious and stressed. He goes there in Matthew chapter 6. He, he, well, let's turn over there. This is just, it's vintage Jesus. And it's something that should not only bless us because we know this is what he wants for us, but it should also convict us, frankly, because when we are living under stress, when we are living anxiously, we're, we're sinning. We're doing what God commands us not to do. But in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, Jesus said, after telling them, look, you can't serve God and money. You need to make up your mind here. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry, Jesus said. Here in Philippians 4, don't be anxious. You know, Jesus said, look at the birds. Do they seem worried? (laughs) Now you go, sure, the birds aren't worried. They don't know what's going on. Nobody told the birds about Iraq. Nobody, nobody's, nobody's expecting the birds to find a job by next week. Nobody, but, you know, 
maybe it's not that what the birds don't know. Maybe it's something that the birds do know. The birds have some sort of sense that things are okay. And in reality, that's true. Martin Luther, after he read this passage one time, it said that every day when he would go for a walk, when he saw the birds, he would be reminded of this passage. And he said he would talk to the birds. And he would say, good morning, you little theologians. He said, you know something about God that I don't know because you just wake up in the morning and sing. And that's true, and that's wise. That's letting go and realizing I'm not in control. But the way that God has us do that and deal with the anxiety and stress in our lives is through prayer. Now, this sounds simplistic. Oh, so if I'm worried, just pray and it'll all be okay. That sounds too good to be true, but it's true. If you pray in the way that God wants you to pray, you can have victory over the anxiety in your life. It really is true. Paul goes into some detail here in Philippians 4 about how this works and describes prayer. He uses several different words for prayer that all kind of mean prayer, but they emphasize different aspects of it. He talks about prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. But before that, he says, this is in everything. He said, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything. So that lets us know, first of all, we should be praying about anything we are worried about. Anything that stresses us needs to go on our prayer list. Now, often we think, well, I don't want to pray for dumb little things. And so I should only pray for the big stuff. Somebody once was, uh, a lady came up to G. Campbell Morgan after he spoke and talking about prayer, and she said, do you think that we should pray for the big things or the little things? Should we just pray for big things? And he said, well, madam, let me answer that by asking you a question. Which of the things that you're concerned about do you think are big things to God or tough for him? And that's the bottom line. I mean, we sometimes think, oh, I don't want to pray for that because it's little. That's all there is are little things compared to what God can do. And yet, amazingly, God cares about everything you care about. Whatever it is that means something to you, it means something to him because he loves you that much. So we're talking about everything. Nothing is outside the realm. If it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. I, once I was speaking on Matthew 6 at a church up in Northern California and talking about worry, and a guy came up afterwards, a little old guy, and he goes, Pastor, I want to disagree with you on something. And I go, okay, I'm used to that. What, what is it? And he said, well, you're wrong about one thing. You said that worry doesn't do any good. And he said, I can prove you wrong. And I said, oh, okay, how are you going to prove that? He said, everything I worry about never happens. <laughs> Some of you will get that at halftime. But... <laughs> And I think the guy was joking. I don't know. <laughs> Somehow we think that our worry is actually accomplishing something. But we need to go, you know what? If I'm worrying, I need to let go of it. Heard a story once about a little old lady who was, had never flown in an airplane. And her family wanted her to fly back to see some relatives. And she was scared to death. 
and shaking and they finally they prayed with her and they got her on the airplane and when she landed at the other end family was there to wait and get her off and and they said wasn't so bad was it you know you, you didn't think that plane could carry you that far and she said well to tell you the truth I never put all my weight down <laughs> And a lot of times, that's the way we live life. Like, okay, if I put my weight down, it's going to fall apart. So Paul says, prayer. That's the deal. Now, the word that he uses for prayer is a word that refers to prayer in general, but the emphasis of the word is on coming into the presence of God with a sense of reverence. Now, when we talk about the presence of God, often... You know, we become kind of confused because the truth is God's always here. There was never a time in your life when God wasn't absolutely present, as close as possible. He gave you your very breath. But when we say the presence of God, what we're really saying is, all of a sudden I noticed that he was there. Sometimes you can be in a room with someone, yet they're busy with their own, you know, things, and, and it, they don't even realize if you're there or not. There's no, you can talk all you want and they can say, uh-huh, oh good, all right. You can be on a phone conversation with someone who does that and then you can tell them, so the, I just uh, found out I have a week to live. Oh, okay, honey, good. You know, we just, but a lot of times that's the way we are with God. He's with us, but we act like he's not. What Paul's talking about is saying, would you pay attention and notice that you're coming into the presence of a holy God. It's what the author of Hebrews calls, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. It's that decision to pray. Now, we are to pray without ceasing. We should always be in a prayerful attitude. It's fine to be constantly shooting little prayers up to the Lord, but there are also times when we just need to go, this is prayer time. This is a time for us to focus on talking to the Lord, on listening to the Lord, on, on being with Him. It's giving Him our undivided attention. See, we always have His undivided attention because He's everywhere, and He's all-powerful, and He can hear everyone equally, intimately the same. So He's always waiting to hear from you. But prayer time is when you go, okay, I'm going to notice Him. I'm going to spend time with him. And Paul says, that's what we need to do. Now, often when we talk about prayer, we think of praying with people, praying in public. And there are some people when you talk about prayer, they just freak out. Because like, I don't know how to pray. I don't want, I, and what they mean is, I haven't learned that phony language that people use when they pray in front of other people. You know how to pray. It's just talking. God can read your mind. And he wants to hear from you. So it's not about getting into clusters and praying together. Although I love praying with people. I think praying together with other people can be a real blessing. But for me, no prayer meeting has ever been as special as when I'm alone with God. It's just more personal, more intimate when I'm with him. And I see, as I read the Bible, there's a much bigger emphasis on being alone and praying to God than there is on getting people together to pray to God. You don't ever see Jesus calling the disciples together and say, okay, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya and have a prayer meeting. It, what Jesus was always doing is he goes, look, you guys stay here and stand guard so I can be alone so I can pray. 
Prayer was something primarily, although it was done in groups, that isn't where the power lies. The power lies in you getting close to God, intimate with Him. You know, oh, you go, but wait a minute. Acts, didn't uh, Jesus tell the people to go wait in the upper room and they were there and in prayer when the Holy Spirit fell on them? Well, yeah, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. That's not something that we're waiting for anymore. But not only that, even while they were there, kind of scared, not knowing what to do, they got tired of praying after a while and they were throwing dice to see who could take Judas's place as the next disciple. Matthias won the game and we never hear from him again. So I don't think that is the model for here's how God gets his work done. You go, but wait a minute, weren't the people having a prayer meeting when Peter got released from prison? And often we use this as, a, as an evidence to go, see, these people got together, God's people prayed together, and Peter was released from prison. Yeah, it's true, but the funny thing was, Peter got released from prison, he comes to the prayer meeting, and he's banging on the door, and they won't let him in because they're going, shut up, we're praying for Peter. It's like, I am Peter. They're going, no, you're a ghost. You can't be Peter. There's no way this prayer was answered. So again, I'm not sure that's the model. You go, well, what about if, if two or three of you agree on anything? Well, number one, that wasn't talking about prayer. That was talking about um, getting together and agreeing in terms of church discipline and the context. But secondly, that's the fact that we should be agreeing on these things. And, and if you're praying for it and I'm praying for it, we're agreeing, right? So the point is, as much as, see what happens in a prayer meeting is I can't, just really totally say what's on my heart. There's an element to which I have to be kind of, I have to hold back certain things. There are some things I pray for that I'm not going to let you know because the line between prayer and gossip is a very fine line. And so you just, there are certain things you have to hold back. There are also, frankly, ways that I talk to God that if you heard me talking to him, you'd get the wrong idea. There are things that would offend you that I know don't offend him at all. So I, I just have a different way of talking to him than I do if you are there. And then, to be honest with you, some of the things that I've prayed about for hours, you wouldn't even care about. It would bore you to tears. And frankly, you know, your sister's, you know, mother-in-law's aunt's second cousin isn't something that I maybe feel passionate about at this point either. <coughs> so prayer is a time when you go, God, it's me and you. It's a great thing, again, to share with others and to pray for others. And if I pray with you, it's because I love to pray with you. But I guarantee you, if I pray with you, it'll be short. But when I'm praying for you, it might be a lot longer. It will almost always be a lot longer. It's just easier for me to do it that way. But so Paul says, take your anxiety before the throne of God. Bring them to him in an attitude of reverence and prayer. Then he says also it's with supplication there in verse 6. Or in verse, yeah, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is a word that means kind of to be intensely, passionately desirous and really needful. Supp supplicating, being a supplicant is going, I'm throwing my hands up and I need help. Now, there's an element to our prayer that I believe needs to be intensive. I don't think that God likes to have us just go, okay, God, this and this and this and this. And he goes, oh, okay. In the same way that, you know, if someone tells you what they want for Christmas 
And if you have small children, they think it's, it's February, and they're already telling you things they want for Christmas. But next week, they won't want it anymore. So as Christmas approaches, you start looking for, are there certain things that they've been asking about for six months, for a longer time, things that they seem to really want? Well, those are the kind of gifts that you want to get for someone if you possibly can. You want to know that they care. Jesus told the parable one time, and it said that the reason he told the parable is so that people would always pray and not lose heart. It was a parable about an unjust judge. This guy was a creep. He was, a, you know, just the worst of the worst of judges. But a lady needed him to sign some papers for a court order, and he didn't give her the time of day, but she just kept bugging him and bugging him. And finally he goes, look, I don't care about you. I'm not worried about God. I just want to shut you up here. And he signed the order, and that was it. And Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly Father answer quickly so there's a difference between the unjust judge and God. But he says, we'll answer quickly to those who cry out day and night to him. And again, reminding you, it says he told the parable so people would always pray and not lose heart. So what we see here is this attitude of supplication is an attitude of, do you really want this? Is this something you feel strongly about? Do you care deeply about it? So often, we pray about things that don't matter. You know, I'll get a cold, and I'll go, boy, it's a bummer, I have a cold, I'm sniffling, and you know, I go, God, I have this cold, could you please heal me? But if not, I'll just go eat some hot salsa and you know, Mexican food burning out of me, a few days I'll be okay anyway, but God, if you wanna heal me first, it's okay, you know? And it's like, if he heals me, big deal. It's probably just the garlic. If he doesn't heal me, I'm okay. I'll be over it. But how different when we pray about something that to us seems like a huge thing. We have a friend who we love who, you know, has cancer, and we're like, oh, God, please. Now, which prayer do you think moves God? It's not the begging prayer because he wants us to crawl, but what God wants us to do is to think about what we're asking for and to really care about it to give him our attention. And the prayer is such an influence on me. So often by me praying passionately, it changes my heart for a situation. If there's a person I'm having a hard time with, one of the first things I will do is I will give them top billing on my prayer list. Because if you're praying passionately for someone, you can't stay resentful of them for very long. See, prayer, it doesn't change God's mind, but it changes us and brings us into conformity with his heart. Now, I'll confess to you, I don't understand everything about prayer. Because on the one hand, I can go, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do, and I can see scriptures that seem to indicate that. But then I read in the book of James where he says, you have not because you ask not. You ask and you don't receive because you're asking wrong. Now, that's pretty heavy. To think that there are good things that God wants to do in my life, but he can't do them because I don't pray for them or I don't pray for them in the right way. That blows my mind. I'd love to explain it to you in a way that brings it all together in a neat little theological package, but I can't. All I can say is just shut up and pray. It's something that we need to do. And we should pray in a way like we really care. 
like it really matters. Those prayers change us, and I believe in some sense they move God. They make a difference. You can't fake him out. But when was the last time you prayed about something that you really cared about? And why do we do this? Primarily because when I am a supplicant, when I am someone who's just going, please, I need a miracle, I am reminded how much I need God. And that is the most important lesson that you will ever learn in life, that you need God. And when we pray in such a way that we're saying, hey, God, you can do this if you want, but I'm cool without you, we're not in the position that he wants us to be in for us to trust in him. Why is that a big deal? If I am not depending on God, then I'm worrying about the future. I'm stressed out because now it's up to me. Now it's my problem. Peter says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's where I want to be. And a part of that is not just entering into his presence, but realizing I am a supplicant. I am here desperately needing God's help, needing his touch, needing his love, needing his healing. I need him or I'm dead. I need him or I am nothing. Do we put ourselves in that place or is prayer just for us a way of God bless the meal? Is that our main prayer? No, we need to, I think God asks us as we give him our prayer list, he goes, you really want this? Do you really want me to do this? Is this something that, am I driving? Am I in charge? Or are you just trying to include me in your club, include me in the agenda? Kind of like, you know, we have uh, softball, two softball teams that just formed for the, for the church and went out last Monday for the first game. And, you know, I was there, but I'm, you know, my best softball days are behind me. Can't throw overhand anymore because my shoulder hurts. And, and uh, you know, I, pretty much by the time I tie my shoes and get my glove out, I'm already worn out. And, and maybe not quite that bad, but, you know, I went to the game just to support the guys. And, and then, I, okay, well, I'll coach a base. And then uh, Mark Savali got hurt at one point, so I, was, I batted for him. And then I started running, pinch running for him and things like that. And, you know, but it's like I really didn't make a contribution, to be honest. They, they would have been fine without me. Now, they had a second game at 830 and I said, hey, you have enough guys for the second game? And they said, yeah, it looks like I think we have 11 guys. So I go, good. I haven't been home today yet. My day off, I'm, I'm going home. And so then I felt really bad when I found out they only had eight players for the last game and they got creamed. And it's like, oh, I could have made a difference there. Now, are you putting God on your team as a base coach or as a pinch hitter? Or is like, yeah, God, come on along with us. Hey, we'll give you a hat. Or are you going... God, we're depending on you. We need you. If you don't show up, we're sunk. And that's the heart of a supplicant. And it's important for us to learn that position because true prayer comes out of true need, not ritual. It's not just a religious buttering up of the Lord. So prayer with supplication, and then he says, with thanksgiving. It's important when we pray that we thank God. It's not, again, to make him feel better. It's not like people who, if they give you a gift and you don't thank them, then you're not going to get another gift. So it's like, okay, I better thank them. Even if I already took the thing back, I'm going to act like I like it, you know. No, 
thanksgiving has a, an important role. In fact, if we are unthankful over in Romans, Paul talks about people who ruined their lives and just became totally immoral and debauched. And he says it started out that they weren't thankful. And then they ended up living like animals and destroying themselves. Thanksgiving. It's not just a holiday in November. It's not just thanking God for the food three times a day. It's living our lives with an awareness that, look what God has done already. And why is that important? Because it's the basis for which I can trust him for the things I'm worried about now. As I thank him for what he's done in the past, I'm reminded God's pretty good at this stuff. So I thank him for what he's done in the past. Then I look at the, my life in the present and I go, God, I thank you for what you're doing now because your track record is so good that I know your faithfulness in the past means that right now you're doing good stuff too. And not only that, God, as I pray for my future, I'm thanking you already because I know that you're going to come through. Living a life of thanksgiving. To be ungrateful is to be miserable. To be ungrateful is to be stressed. So often we're sitting and worried and stressing out about this week when if we would just notice what God has done always, we would go, this is nothing. I've been through worse. I've faced things that are more daunting than this, and God, I remember you came through for me. I thank you. Don't focus on the 10% of what he hasn't done yet. Look at the 90% of what he has done, or whatever your percentages might be. And as our prayers become infused with thanksgiving, it just reminds us of how great God is and how we can trust in him. And as I thank him for what he's done in the past, today doesn't seem so worrisome. It doesn't seem so bothersome. And then after saying that, prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, he says, then let your requests be made known to God. This is kind of the heart of prayer. It's not prayer if you don't ask for stuff. And now he goes, look, given all of that, get your list and tell God what you want him to do. Now, sometimes we act like, oh, I don't want to do that because it seems selfish. Well, you are selfish. Deal with it. <laughs> but God says, if you want something, ask me. Now, it's great. He says he answers our prayers with one caveat, and that is if you ask for something stupid, he's not going to give it to you, and it's a good thing. Be thankful that God hasn't given you everything you've asked for. Lovingly, he withholds certain things that he knows aren't going to be good for you. But if it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying for. Shame on you and shame on me if we can list things that we're stressed about that we really haven't given to God and haven't committed to Him. That's a horrible indictment against us if that's the way we're living, carrying burdens that we don't need to carry. How big of a deal is it to make a list of what you care about and give the list to God? And there's something about giving it to him that causes us to feel better. Greg Laurie told a story about a guy who, he said, the guy was constantly worried, just uptight and anxious all the time. And his friend saw him one day, and all of a sudden, everything had changed. This guy seemed to have a peace. He was happy and relieved. He looked 20 years younger, and he goes, man, what happened to you? I'm used to you being all uptight and, you know, lines on your face, and, and you just look like a burden's been lifted. And he goes, yeah, I'm telling you, it has been. And he goes, what happened? He said, well, 
I decided to hire a guy to worry for me. He said, it's great. He goes, well, how does that work? He goes, I pay him $10,000 a month. And whenever I start to worry about something, I just call him up and leave it on his answering machine, and he promises to worry about it for me. And the guy goes, boy, that sounds good. But he goes, how are you going to pay him the $10,000 a month? And he goes, well, that's for him to worry about. <laughs> but we have that kind of deal with God, where God goes, you know what? Let me worry about it for you. I can actually do something about it. Give me your list. Let me see what it is that you care about. And once you give it to him, you can be assured. He's taking care of it. We don't have to carry these burdens ourselves. He knows the future. He holds the future in his hands. And he loves you passionately. And all those things you care about that you may think don't matter, do you know they matter to him more than they matter to you? And he goes, man, I have all the time in eternity to listen to you gripe about your problems. Give them to me. Go ahead and tell me. What are you worried about? I'll listen. And not only that, when you give them to me, I'll do something about it. I'll change things for you. And Paul says, you do this. You enter in with reverence into specific and designed times of prayer. You come as a supplicant, as someone who's desperately in need of help. You, you come and you thank him, set the stage by talking about what he's done already, and you thank him for what he's going to do. And then get the list out. Again, where do you get the list? You can start by just saying, what are you worried about? What were you thinking about when you went to bed last night that kept you awake because you were mulling it over in your mind? What are you afraid of happening? What is it that you're anxious about this week? Make a list. Check it twice. And give it to God. That worry list is your prayer list. And God will take that and trade. As you turn in your anxiety, he'll give you back his peace. As he says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Our heart, the seed of passion, our minds, those things that we think about. The problem is we leave the door open to things that come in and rip us apart, tear us asunder, divide us up, cause us to feel like we're being tugged in all directions at once. And our mind tries to figure it out. And our heart is upset. And we're not sure why. Sometimes we'll take it out on people we love the most. And he goes, you know what? What you need is a guard at your door of your heart and your mind. And that guard is my peace. And if you will devote yourself to serious prayer, he says, I'll give you a peace. And it's a peace that passes understanding. See, what we're looking for when we're stressed is we need answers. We want to know, here's the deal. Like Job. The whole book of Job is a fascinating philosophical study on the problem of evil. Well, how come people are suffering if God is loving? And if he's all-powerful, why doesn't he do something about it? And it's asked over and over in lots of different ways. And Job keeps saying, I wish God would show up. And I have some pointed questions for him. And I want an explanation. And then at the end of the book, God showed up. It was kind of funny. God never answered any of Job's questions. Not a bit. Wish he had. But instead, God just said, hey, I got a few questions for you, Job. Where were you when I created the earth? 
Where were you when I designed this whole ecosystem, when I put the universe together? Where were you when I told the land where to be and the water where to stay? Where were you when I was teaching animals to take care of their young, to find their way back to a spawning place? Or, or you know, what do you know about this? And finally, in seeing the glory of God, Job goes, you know, I had some questions for you, but I can't seem to find the list. He said, my hand is over my mouth. I don't have anything to say. When he saw God's glory, his questions weren't answered. But the questions didn't matter anymore because he goes, well, I don't understand this, but I guess you do, don't you? I guess you're working. I guess I can trust you. And that's the place where God wants to take you and me. It's not that if we go to him, he'll give us the answers. In fact, if he gave us all the answers, we would be very disappointed because it's so much better for us to trust when we don't understand and to find a peace that passes understanding. That's where he wants us to be. John Corson says, don't ever ask for a peace that comes from understanding when God promises a peace that passes understanding. It's much better to have peace when you don't get it than to get it and then go, hmm, <laughs> okay, I understand, now what? And prayer will take us to the point where even though the situation hasn't changed at all, what's changed is me. I'm like, you know, everything is just the same, but all of a sudden I feel like everything's going to be okay. I'm sensing that peace. I'm blessed to know that it's not about me. As soon as God made you smart enough to figure out problems, then you'd really be busy worrying. Most of us worry about things that we can't solve. It'd be worse if you could. The burden of being brilliant. It's better just to go, you know what? I definitely can't figure this one out. So I'm going to trust the one who I know can. And when that happens, we get that peace. And peace is where God wants us to live. We are not designed to balance pressure in our lives. We are not designed as problem-solving anxiety machines. We do not perform well under pressure. But we can, through prayer, get victory over these situations in our lives. And we can experience a peace that passes understanding. But the pathway from anxiety to peace, it runs through prayer. And if you've been a little stressed and maybe thinking you don't have time to pray, I suggest you put a little more time into your prayer. You can't afford, if you're busy, you can't afford not to pray and to pray seriously and to pray intentionally, to report for duty as one who has desperate need. And those prayers will change everything. And long before the solutions come about, the peace will kick in. And you'll go, okay, I'm good. I'm fine. This is okay. There was a guy, Joseph Scrivener, who over in Scotland back over 100 years ago, he had waited until a little later in life before getting married. And he had a fiance, and they were about to get married. He was very excited about it. As she rode her horse the, the night before their wedding, she was riding her horse along by the river and fell off and fell into the water and was drowned. He was devastated. It was another 10 years before he would even think about dating. By that time, he had moved to Canada, and he met another girl who he fell in love with. And they were engaged, and just 
Weeks before their marriage, she ended up coming down with pneumonia and dying. And Joseph Scrivener, as you would expect, was devastated. But he did something that's a lot different than I would have done, probably. I'd be feeling sorry for myself, stressing out and moping. What Joseph Scrivener did is he took a pen to a piece of paper, and he wrote the words that became one of the greatest hymns of the church. He wrote this, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And that whole song is just a tribute to how prayer takes you from, from stress to peace, from anxiety to being settled into the arms of a God who loves us. What a friend we have in Jesus and that's what God wants for us. It's what he wants specifically for us to experience this week. I don't know what your week has in store, but God has designed your week to cause you to be more dependent on him. Now, you can decide on your own to spend more time with him this week, or you can let him make you desperate if that's what you choose to do. But when you start feeling your stomach churning, when your mind is racing, when you're dreaming and trying to put all these weird things together and make sense out of them, remember the words of Paul here in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus pray. Lord, we are truly grateful that you have us covered. And we sit here pretending like it's up to us. Somehow we feel like when we worry, we're helping you out. God, we want to fall into your arms. We need to. We're killing ourselves with all this stress and anxiety all of our anticipation for an unknown future. Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting, your disciples never asked, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. And that's our heart's desire. Teach us to spend some time this week, more time than we spent last week, praying to you. If necessary, worrying to you. Because it's in your hands and you can do something about it. So as those who honor and revere you, as we enter your presence, as those who are utterly dependent on you, as we thank you for what we've done, and as we give you the list of our worries, give us your peace. And especially, give us peace in a way that is so miraculous that it doesn't come from having good things happen to us. A peace that just passes understanding. We thank you for what you want to do and what you will do in our lives. In Jesus' name.